I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton, uh, but it's an amazing story of a, a crew that went to the South Pole back in the earlier part of the 20th century. Uh, and the big story was how they, how they made it out because they got stranded on an island and it took a, a tremendously dangerous and, uh, and superhuman effort to get that crew back to England. But before that, uh, the, they set up a base camp in the winter, and then as summer approached, the summer of 09 and 08, again in the south, southern hemisphere, their winter is our summer and vice versa, uh, and four men, including uh, Sir Shackleton, with four ponies took off to try to reach the South Pole. And weeks later, with the ponies dead and their rations nearly gone, and having failed their mission, they turned back and they trekked for a total of 127 days in this effort. On the way back, Sir Shackleton relates in his, in his story, in his book about this adventure, that all they could think about was food, about sumptuous menus, about gourmet delights, elaborate feasts. That's what they talked about. And every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. Well, Jesus knew the ravages of food deprivation, and he said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled so we can understand Shackleton's obsessions with food, which offers a glimpse of the passion that Jesus intends for our quest for righteousness. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a 20th century British evangelical leader, said this, This beatitude again follows logically from the previous ones. It is a statement to which all the others lead. It is the logical conclusion to which they come, and it is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole Scripture, you can be quite certain that you are a Christian. If it is not, you had better examine the foundations again. This one short verse brings to us an incredible message of hope, a message that should spark a, a deep sense of joy in all of us who are believers. Satisfaction is available, but only through Christ. In one sense, we can all relate to this passage because we all hunger. We may not be able to know the depth of hunger of people living at that time, but we experience daily hunger in our affluent society that comes back and needs to be satisfied. I'm reminded of a, of a story that used to be told in my Marine Corps, unlike the Marine Corps of some of the young people here today, 
we would eat out of cans, not bags, and they were called sea rats. And whenever, now, now you've got to understand about sea rats, is these were boxes of cans that sat on army supply shelves for years until they shuffled them off to the Marines, filled with preservatives. And the one thing I remember most distinctly about the sea rats was the chocolate nut roll. Okay, sounds like a delight, does it not? But it was, by the time that we got it, it was so dry that once you pulled it, put it into your mouth, it literally sucked the saliva right out. Well, whenever Marines would bellyache about eating their sea rats, some wizened uh, staff NCO would tell them the story of the POW in Vietnam, who after years of imprisonment and hardly any food, if, if it was food, it was, you know, if it was provided, it was lousy. And one day he escapes, and then there's a chopper flying above, spots the POW running through the jungle, sets down, uh, he jumps on board, they take off immediately. And the crew chief scrambles, trying to find something for this poor soul to eat, and throws him a can of chocolate nut roll. And that POW for later said, that was the best meal I ever ate. Kind of, de kind of depends on your perspective, doesn't it? We can all relate to this concept of hunger, perhaps not as well here as they do in other countries like Haiti. That's, but it's a universal experience. And that's why this is such a great illustration that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. First question is simple. In your life now, after what are you hungering and thirsting? Where is your heart? In one sense, it's easy for believers to see that we're filled and satisfied uh, with the free gift of salvation, but too often that's when the hungering stops. Many believers struggle with the big areas of sin, you know, like uh, we see pastors who fall into adultery and, and others who fall into pornography, families torn apart because they're not hungering after righteousness and maybe splitting up. Some Christians simply have nothing dramatic. They just sit week after week in pews longing for, a, for the day-in and day-out satisfaction. So, do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus was trying to convey by these words, hunger and thirst. The Greek neo or peinao means to have a strong desire for food ranging from mild discomfort to intense craving. Meta metaphorically, it's used to express seeking with eager and compelling desire. For thirst, the Greek dipsao means to have a sensation of dryness in the mouth, a need to drink. These two words, when put together, express an ardent craving, a huge sense of need. When we apply it to food, Hunger and thirst are God-given impulses, and when stirred, they motivate us to seek out 
an essential of life until it's satisfied. For the unsaved man, hunger and thirst can extend to things not of God, but of the world originating in the fall. After a little temporal gratification comes the pain and torment of eternal famishing. Strong and intense desire after any object has been used by poets and orators metaphorically through the words hunger and thirst. Virgil in his Aeneid said this, O cursed hunger after gold, what canst thou not influence the hearts of men to perpetrate? The root of all evil is the love of money. For the Christian, however, hunger and thirst should drive us to Christ as the only one who can satisfy our deepest need. John described Jesus as the bread of life in chapter 6 and as the source of living water in chapter 4 of his gospel. And speaking of God, Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, Job 23. These Greek words are in the durative present tense, like duration or durable, meaning that hunger and thirst is supposed to be continual. It goes on and on in this life and increases in the very act of being satisfied. In other words, the meek, the mourners, taste and desire more. As the desire grows, the need increases and the craving becomes more intense. The Virgin Mary in her Magnificat said this, God fills the hungry with good things. This spiritual hungering and thirsting is in itself not an end to glorify God. However, it is a sign of life of the reborn man or woman who has been awakened out of the sleep of spiritual death. We've all experienced, I think, I hope we have, the enthusiasm of a new Christian. Okay? You've seen it and hopefully, hopefully experienced it. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes that dies off. Uh, now, while the outward manifestation of salvation may change with maturity, the inward desire to know and follow Christ should never, never trail off to indifference. Older Christians should be careful not to confuse apathy with maturity because spiritual hungering and thirsting are an expression of the internal spirit of every child of God. Now, important to note also here the, the time frame that we're talking about here. We, we, we talked earlier that the, the Beatitudes are for today. Uh, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, it says simply this, the hungry are blessed now. And so blessedness, this blessedness, relate to us, relates to us now. So, 
Are we all hungry? Are we all thirsty? Are we? Really? Let me ask. When you awake, are you excited each day to see what God is, has in store for you? Do you look forward to, the, to meeting challenges, seizing opportunities He may place in your way? Are you consistently spending time with Him alone in prayer, study, memorization, meditation? Or do you find it more and more that the sheets are heavy when you get up in the morning? Do you drag yourself out of bed just in time to, to gobble down some sustenance, check your email or Facebook, and then rush off to work? Are you bored with life or just going through the motions of a daily routine? If so, it is possible you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Anybody remember the word backsliding? It's kind of a Baptist word, isn't it? You know, kind of akin to hellfire and brimstone and that sort of thing. We don't hear it very often anymore. But it is a biblical word used to describe a state of being. The prophet Jeremiah says, Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Now, the causes of backsliding are many and varied. Some are hidden. Some are out in the open. But what we usually emphasize are the externals, like pornography or illicit sexual relationships, drunkenness. You know, uh, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't girl, go with the girls that do. Uh, that sort of thing. But rather, it, this is what Jeremiah calls forsaking the Lord. Could that be lack of prayer, Bible study, memorization, meditation, spending time with the Lord you love? That kind of omission has just as detrimental an effect on the soul as do the seven deadly sins. Starvation can render you just as dead as ingesting some lethal substance. Jesus condemned the Pharisees not for what they did, but what, for what they failed to do. He said, you neglect the weightier matters of the law, such as mercy. He also told his disciples that they would be judged not just according to their relationship with him, but also by their neglect of the least of these. Now Paul said, everything is lawful, but not everything is... Now, excuse me, not everything that is lawful is expedient or beneficial. And there are a number of activities in and of themselves that might not cause one to go out and sin. 
But neglecting the Word of God and spending time with God certainly will. The lust of the flesh, the deceitfulness of riches, the love of the world, all these can entrap you. But the pride of life, hatred toward a brother, all these things eat away from within and are just as destructive inside. In Ephesians 1, starting at verse 14, we have a concept here that is vital to the thrivant Christian. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To redeem means to rescue something from going to waste. Now, let's think about our time. If we take, let's say, nine hours to sleep and dress and undress, and we travel and go to work or school-related activities for another nine hours, we might have about six more hours left for everything else. Only problem is... uh, Studies such as the one done by the U.S. Department of Labor indicate that on the average, Americans spend about 50 minutes a day on computer games, an hour in social networking, and two and a half hours watching TV, and maybe 10 minutes reading. Now, if that's true of us, and I suspect that that is conservative, particularly for young people today, By my count, that leaves a whole one to two hours to split between God, family, and eating. Now, this is particularly true for the young, especially surprise for young men. The concern is that unlike previous generations, young today have far more temptations and distractions to idleness. Whether it's cable TV channel or web surfing or YouTube or instant messaging or emails or video or online games or texting or, and of course social networking. You can't leave that out. The problem is this can lead to an incapacity or even intolerance for the hard work of leading a family and the disciplined required to grow spiritually day by day. To be clear, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Young people, particularly young men, is it possible that your activities actually have power over you? Please, please consider how much time you spend on these activities. But the fault doesn't rest primarily on the young men or the young ladies. If we as older men and older women 
look down on the younger and say, grow up, be responsible, be a man, I mean a gentleman, be a lady. But yet, we don't set the alarm early enough. If we don't stick our noses in the Word of God, if we don't get off the couch, if we don't lead by example, we shouldn't be surprised when our sons are lazy and there are no real men around suitable for our daughters. If we want to be honest, we've got to recognize the simple fact that there is only so much time in a day. Of course, we are commanded to work, and it is vital that we spend time with our families. But if we spend most of the remainder of that time on activities other than those that draw us closer to God, what else can we expect other than to drift away from Him? Kind of sounds a little bit like backsliding, doesn't it? The real question is, even though we may spend lots of time with the people that we love, do we love God enough to spend significant quality time with Him daily? Now, why should we spend that time with Him? What's the goal? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after what? Riches, power, glory? No, it's righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, we've, we've said earlier that the Beatitudes are focused primarily at believers, and so we're not really talking about regeneration here. We're not talking about justice, you know, for the oppressed. We're not even talking about a moral and legal righteousness, which some of the Jews have tried to, to apply but rather the justifying righteousness of Christ, which is imputed by God the Father and received by faith. It is the integrity and purity of desire in life that constitutes the new experience of the saved man. Speaking to believers, Paul said, don't keep presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then later in Romans 6, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Matthew Henry said this about thirsting and hungering after righteousness. Uh, these are appetites that return frequently and call for fresh satisfactions. So these holy desires rest not in anything attained, but are carried out toward renewed pardons and daily fresh supplies of grace. The quickened soul calls for constant meals of righteousness, grace to do the work of every day in its day, as duly as the living body calls for food. Now, this hunger and thirst involves increase, an increasing sense of need for the Lord, the realization that without Him, we are nothing. The craving to know more of Him and to be more like Him 
compelling desire to live purer, holier, more effective lives before men and the resolve by the grace of God to do so. It's always helpful, I think, to look at Scripture to get examples of what hungering and thirsting after righteousness might look like. And no better place in the turn than the Psalms. In Psalm 63, in part, says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I will meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 42, another that you're familiar with. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. In these psalms, the writer exemplifies what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. As the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. Do you have this longing? This passion, deep sense of need for Him? Is this something you cannot live without? This is what we as believers ought to be hungering after on a daily basis, every second of the day. Hungering and thirsting needs to be a vital part of our lives such that we cannot live without satisfying that hunger and thirst. Now, there are so many things that we do that, that we do that we think will not affect our relationship with Christ, but they do. I would prefer to dwell on the positive. Problem is, there is so much negative out there. And it, when it comes to the church, particularly through leaders, pointing out those distractions from hunger and thirst, I guess I would quote Ronald Reagan. If not us, who? If not now, when? Whether, just thinking about this, kind of returning here, whether it's TV or music or movies or video games or Internet or even books, any other media that are geared toward or based upon 
marital infidelity, immodesty, sexual impurity, marital strife, violence, cursing the Lord's name, the degrading of human life. These things tend to hinder our walk with God, and they distract us from righteousness. And that is what is 90% of what's out there, if we want to be honest. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness is not easy. In fact, it's extremely difficult. It requires tough, tough decisions. A decision to be different, to stand alone when when other people are doing something else, to be willing, as Daniel was, to stand alone in the midst of both our peers, older and younger. There's no doubt that in our lifetimes we will always battle against the flesh and against sin, but as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, for consider him... Christ Jesus, who endured such hostility for sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, because you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, this doesn't mean we take ourselves out of the world, but rather we live in the world righteous lives amongst our co-workers and friends and peers and even enemies whose lives may not be characterized by righteousness. It means that we're salt and light, shedding the love of Christ through both our actions, our words, and even our attitudes. Is this a passion in your life? The men who wrote those psalms truly had a passion for God. And that's what captivated their lives. That's what they longed for because he is the only one who can satisfy. In the New Testament, Paul exemplifies this in Philippians 3. And in uh, the passage there starting in verse 8, it says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. However, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold for me. You see two points here as Paul's trying to make. It is not his righteousness. It is not our righteousness. And secondly, he nonetheless presses on to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold on for him. He lays all the cares of the world aside, and he strives after righteousness in his walk with the Lord. He desires above all else to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Do we count all those things of the world as rubbish? 
that we may know Christ? Are we striving to live lives that are godly? We're not talking here about just outward appearances of righteousness, but about the heart. For what things does your heart long? Lord willing, it is as Paul said, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Finally, we've got this phrase, they shall be filled. And that's, in the Greek, that phrase is based upon a word that means very strong, is a very strong and graphic word, applied to feeding and fattening the animals in the stall. In Psalm 34.10, the psalmist says, They that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. This is the same want that we see in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Those who seek the Lord, the meek who mourn over sin and who hunger and thirst after righteousness, will not only be filled and thirst after righteousness, they will not only be uh, seeking those things which satisfy eternally, but they are assured that all these things will always be available. David concludes his most well-known psalm with, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is a powerful passage. And it gives great hope. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled even now. Now, we are blessed if we're doing just that because we're filled. We don't hunger any longer as the world hungers because our satisfaction has been in Christ. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness has a message to those who are in Christ. And so I would conclude with this one question. Are we hungry? Lord God, we give you the praise and the glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word upon which we can feed day by day. We are simple sheep, but you have given us a rich pasture. Lord, you have given us a personal relationship Lord, you have given us a very, very valuable, priceless, and limited commodity, time, in our lives and in our days. Lord, would that we would not waste this time, but rather that we would redeem it and use it to hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Father, thank you for the attentiveness of these saints in these less-than-perfect conditions. Lord, I pray that you would walk with each one of us this week, that you would enable us to seek you first. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.